Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. All right. Welcome to another edition of Coffee and Conservation this morning. We are getting all caffeined up. Probably too much, so it's going to be time for a snack pretty soon. (laughs) (laughs) And I am here again with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Joby Zarnecki, Assistant Research Professor at the Geosystems Research Institute here at Mississippi State University. Joby, how are you this morning? I'm super, Dr. Baker. Thank Thank you you for asking. Thank you for coming (laughs) again. Um, Last time she was on the show, we talked a bit about precision conservation, and we are switching gears today. Um, We talked about precision agriculture, but also (laughs) precision conservation. You know, potato, potato. (laughs) (laughs) They're two sides of the same coin. That's right. And uh, this morning, we're switching gears to talk a little bit more about cover crops. Just click the button. It's fine. (laughs) We don't want to make, we want to make sure we don't, you know spend your whole day sitting here we talked about Fil- doing filibuster, filibuster <laughs> podcast filibuster podcast it's just it's just both of it's us talking as long as we can until you get tired of listening to us it's only going to be 12 or so hours just block your day quit your job <laughs> no we promise to not take up that much time so let's jump into jump into it a little bit cover crop research is pretty pretty hot right now just to be, just to be clear. Let's have these visions of Zoolander. I know. Oh, he's so hot right now. I mean, I was going to try to find some technical scientific terms, but I really don't think our audience wants to hear that anyway. Um, all around the country, there's a good bit of uh, funding going towards cover crop research, um, especially in areas of the Midwest, the Northeast, and we're starting to get rolling here in the Mid-South. Um, so kind of where we're at right now if you're not familiar with what a cover crop is it's a crop planted during what would normally be the non-growing season Uh, in this case in Mississippi our non-growing season usually there's nothing planted in the field it's left relatively bare and often prepped for the next planting season and unfortunately we also get a good bit of rain during that during that non-growing season so can as you would imagine not be ideal to prevent soil erosion Um, but in in planting this cover crop um, the idea is also that it's going to not be harvested Um, so it's a conservation tool but it can also be used as a agronomic tool uh, depending on why you might want to use it what your end goals are which we always suggest you have if you're wanting to put in a cover crop it's a whole other aspect to a farm management system. So, um, <laughs> just deciding one day that you're going to plant cover crops without a plan is probably not advisable. Definitely have a plan and a goal and goal in mind. Um, but so you you have a cover crop project, Doctor Zarnecki, don't you? Yes. As the PI, <laughs> yes, I do co-PI, Doctor Baker. <laughs> <laughs> I am intimately familiar with it. However, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about this project. Sure. We were fortunate to receive funding from USDA's um, sort of funding arm, which is the NIFA, National 
Institute for Food and Agriculture. And that's part of their CARE program. CARE stands for Critical Agriculture Research and Extension. So, um, you know, there's going to be a quiz at the end. Yes, there is going to be a quiz. On the acronyms. There is going to be a quiz. Um, So, I won't tell a joke about acronyms. Um, So, of course, that project, you know, they fund things that are sort of easy to transition to extension, um, and you have to have a pretty heavy extension component. So, we're fortunate to have people like you um, and also our collaborators at University of Kentucky. Um, who are ag economists here on the project, but we really wanted to provide, you know, scientific validation of these benefits. And as you well know, and preaching to the choir, we have a lot of conservation practices that we feel good about, that make us feel like better people, that we want desperately to work. But at the end of the day, when we look at farmers, it's hard to be able to show them something on a piece of paper that says, you know, this is the actual tangible benefit, whether that's economically or agronomically, we just don't really have a lot of data on that, particularly in our Mid-South systems. A lot of practices that come in from other places are supported where they're at, but they're not necessarily tested for our, you know, Mississippi production systems. Well, and to be fair, it takes a significant amount of resources to measure all of those potential tangible benefits in people and money. Um, because, I mean, what you could measure is endless. You know, yeah. You're just saying, what are the benefits of this? And in the case of this project, project it's agronomic, environmental, and economic. And economic. So it's not a, it's not, it's not something that can be um, executed easily. And at the end of the day, if you wanted to try to capture everything, that could be endless. Yeah, well, and that's why, you know, we think of farming, you know, like a farm as a system, and mm-hmm. so we're using that sort of systems approach. But, um, you know, a lot of studies also tend to be single focus, like what are the water quality benefits or, you know, what's the benefit to this particular aspect of soil health, whereas we're sort of like, what's the benefit to the system? It's probably the difference between a publication and a textbook. <laughs> this, is <true. laughs> this is true. Gosh, why didn't, why didn't we just pick one thing? Um, but yeah, so that project is looking at, you know, improvements to soil health in terms of soil structure improvements for drainage or microbial activity, presence mm-hmm. of earthworms. It's also looking at the reduction in runoff volumes, water leaving the field, the quality of that water, how much sediment is in it, how much nitrogen is in it, those kinds of things that, you know, environmental regulators would look at. And then also at the end of the day, you know, what's it going to cost me? How do I make it? A piece of my system that allows me to remain profitable because you know it caught we know there are costs we know you got to buy seed that's a whole another level of management so there are costs to that and just being able to sort of put all of that information together so an individual producer can look at that and, and say yield did you say yield well i mean of course we have yield i'm yeah. just i'm just i'm, I'm just, just talking about the cover crop for folks that aren't familiar with our research which um or folks that aren't in research or are not farmers there's a, a lot of elements to this system yes. we talk about well yeah like we tried to make a candy farming game once where we planted skittles and like grew twizzlers or you planted m&ms to grow full-size candy bars and you had to get the right combination to you know get the jackpot and the problem with that game is to make it work effectively you have to distill farming into a series of equations and it, it's actually really, we were like, man, farming is hard. So math? I know. Well, yeah. It had math, so I was instantly not going to win. Nobody wants to play. Nobody wants to play this game. We were like, oh, this is going to be lovely. But at the end, man, at one point, the guy I work with, the extension guy, looks at me and goes, man, farming's hard. But 
that's and, the truth. I mean, truth. it's the truth. And we laugh because we know that. But, yeah, we were, I don't know, maybe we didn't have enough coffee that day. We were like, yeah, we're just, it's going to be this awesome game. We're going to distill this whole thing into equations because that's what we were told we were supposed to do. Yeah, and, you know, most often folks that grow up in farming might go into farming research. I think it's, I think I maybe I like it even more um, because typically our non-farmers, non-producers, folks that grow up in cities don't have a good handle on what farming entails Um and while my grandparents farmed, my parents didn't. Um, and it never fails to fascinate me when s- sometimes scientists try to make it very simple. This is what we should do within the context of the farm system, within the weather variability, within market variability. So much more complex than that. I mean, this is the honest truth. I saw a study where they asked kids where milk came from. Mm-hmm. Some of them said corn. So, I mean, this is the world we live in. People yes. think think milk comes from corn i also had a friend at a field day where the where, chicken nuggets come from chick-fil-a yeah well i actually a friend of mine was at a field day they were hosting and a, a parent had her child she pointed at a sheep and she said that's where cotton comes from so you know mm-hmm. it's probably a good thing those people didn't go into agriculture but um you know people are not necessarily connected with where their food comes from so you know these are the people we need to understand you know and how agriculture works so that they'll stop you know, blaming agriculture for all their problems. Right, right, because, you know, we've got a lot of things, as especially Americans, quite quite the consumer base here. Um, well, but, I mean, everybody wants, day, you know, it's we share the environment, so people feel like they have a seat at the table of how the environment is used by all parties. So, you know, cover crops is one tool we're giving farmers to help them, you know, be good stewards of the shared resource. and But oh. it's not for everybody, and some people need a different conservation practice. Right, so right, right, right. It's and good to let them be able to evaluate that with scientific data. And there is... I'm going to get oh. the hook if I don't stop yeah. talking here. Yeah, so. <laughs> there are, you know, there are a number of conservation practices out there. Um, so, but... You can you can kind of pick and choose what you use, but again, we're gonna we're gonna keep this in the context of the system that it shouldn't just be picking one for the sake of picking one. It should be with uh, an objective or a goal in mind. And when you when you move to put conservation on the landscape in the United States, it's often through uh, one of the USDA agencies where um, conservation funding is available for farmers to put conservation on the ground, landowners, ranchers, um, and that is through the USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service, and they require you typically to have a conservation plan in place, this kind of nine-step planning process, so that it is more of a systems approach. It takes into account goals of the producer alongside protecting natural resources. Ironically, you know, the same soil we need to, to grow food, the same water we need uh, for a number of different things al- alongside public supply are still the foundational assets of a farm system. So that's where, you know, we kind of come together on this conservation agriculture. I think I'm r- rambling. <laughs> but just to give our setting the stage for our viewers again, listeners, nobody's watching us, thank God. <laughs> All right, so we've talked a little bit about the project. It is interdisciplinary. We want to develop information from this project from the project for improved management and alongside the sustainability of the farm system, especially here in the Mid-South. And so 
at the the end goal of some of these products is to support farmer decision making. Yeah, I mean we can we can show them you know that they're great and awesome, but it just may not fold well into what they're trying to do. And I mean we can't know for an individual farmer what their solution is. Certainly with conservation, it's not one size fits all. And even when you do like you know that's why they have cover crop selection tools because depending on the crop you're going into, some cover crops are better than others. Mm-hmm. And you know it. In Mississippi, you know, we have a shorter sort of off-season. You know, we plant corn much earlier than Midwestern states because it's, because it's they warmer. Because have nine months of winter. <laughs> it seems that way to Southerners. I say that with expertise. I'm from Minnesota. This is true. But, you know, I mean, we just – this season is so much shorter for the, you know, the cover crop. And since the benefits tend to be proportional to the amount of biomass, when you have less time to build up that biomass, it's, it's harder sometimes to – to incorporate that in a low stress way, right? Because I mean, the the situation we're in now is people bedding up in the fall and trying to get that sort of prepped for seed it. prep ready mm-hmm. because they don't want to be rushed. You know, like right now we've we've rained and rained and rained and rained, and we we're getting a little behind on our normal planting dates, and yes. people are getting antsy. We don't have snow, but we do have a significant amount of water, particularly through our our delta yeah. region. Which all is that, in that snow ri- becomes rain when mm-hmm. it comes into our area. Yes, which is a real challenge, um, and we're hot off a of field day. We just had a field day last week. It rained. <laughs> it rained, so it was an I mean, indoor field indoor day. Field day. <laughs> indoor field days are the best. Um, we had a great group of people there, um, though, and a shout-out to Delta, Delta Precision. Precision. Yes, thank you for saying that in sync with me. Uh, <laughs> Taylor Fleming and his crew out there were fantastic. We were office soulmates. <laughs> That's right. Um yeah, they were, they're a great partner for us. I know we'll keep working with them in the future and, and all of the farmers that came to. I mean, having feedback at, at the field day is what we want. You know, we're presenting some of the data that we've collected in the first, first year. year. And some of it's hard to look at, but we know that. Some of it's hard to interpret just because of all these complexities Yeah, we've talked I mean, about. it's sort of, I don't know, I sort of feel like we look at, we're like, okay, look at this, but I need, okay, but look, well, I'm not done. Like, let me show you like five more things and then, then judge it. We have caveats um, for our caveats. Yeah, so... I know they probably it's hard because there aren't a lot of straightforward answers but well I mean that's the reality of it um it depends yeah I mean there's so much opportunity for us to learn alongside them simultaneously like we've been doing bring in more resources to make these farm systems successful sustainable um we know they have to think year to year yeah, and that's sort of, I think that's the hard part with trying to get conservation sort of adopted on a broader scale is a lot of our landowners rent. Mm-hmm. And so the incentive to, you know, for cover crops, for example, we're talking about, a lo- you know, playing the long game, like, okay, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, and maybe in five years you're going to have this great soil structure and you're going to love it. Well, if I only... And you're going to love it. You're going to want to just dig holes it. all day. Yeah, you're going to be like, more tillage radishes, please. <laughs> but, you know, the problem is, like, if you weren't going to farm that in two years, um, you know, my my undergrad student... That we could have a whole, another, a whole whole series, probably, on renting versus owning. Oh, yeah. And the impact that on in, conservation, right, for sure. Right, right. Maybe I'll set that up. Yeah, maybe we'll just... <laughs> we can get... We're going to just get rolling here. This is the filibuster episode. <laughs> but no, seriously, though, my um, my undergraduate student worker, he's awesome, but, you know, he's an Aggie Con 
major um, about to graduate and go home to his farm in Forest City, Arkansas and start his life. But I mean, he's been really helpful as a sounding board for me because I'm like, well, why would you, wouldn't you just do this a little bit? And he's like, you know, you might not be farming in two years. Mm-hmm. You know, if the market turns bad, if the weather turns bad, if circumstances in your life change. I mean, you just can't think about that long-term vision no matter how great it sounds when you rent land. Right, thinking, you know, being empathetic as I am, putting myself in other people's shoes, I would not survive well. I'm a planner. Um, I also like to have a reasonable amount of control over things in my life, which we know is just not possible anyway, so that's more of a figment of my imagination. Um, you need one of those containers. <laughs> it's like the shipping container that's a farm that you can control all the aspects. It's like a giant greenhouse right. for you. Or one of – did you see that article that Dan sent us? Uh, Dan Prevost. Yeah, a good friend of ours. He'll so, be on the show Southern at some Ag. point. You just wait. He'll be here. Um, it was on farming in the Netherlands, though, and they essentially farm almost entirely inside. Like all these indoor greenhouses grow everything inside with ultimate control, which maybe that's where we'll be in – 20, 30, 40 years, but um, not because people didn't adopt cover crops. <laughs> <laughs> not where we are right now. Um, but it, it, I mean, it makes the profession uncomfortable um, and high risk. Well, I mean, everybody's uncomfortable with change, and well, I, I mean, not in the sense, con- uh, not even in the sense of conservation, just in the sense of um, your year-to-year profit being based on a, a number of things that are out of your control. No, we don't have to go into that, but I don't even know how we got there. <laughs> um, this is frequently true of our conversations. Because <laughs> we were talking about cover crops in the project. This is true. And well, the results that we presented. And the results the that we day. presented. And our results are that farming is complicated, as we've already stated. But also just, you know, we, our cover crop side tended to yield lower than the non-cover not side. Not in all of our, not we, at, we had, well, we had one person who broke even. We had paired fields on six farms for this by the way yeah um, so it's the same field it has the same management history half of it gets covered half of it doesn't they drain into their individual buckets single pipe single ideal pipe. for the water end but you know we because we have so much data because we you know we live in the data age we can explain most of why you know we can explain it it's not like it was a mystery and that it was in many cases, not necessarily a function of the cover crop that brought the yield down. It was things that were out of our control, like the slope of the fields. You know, we just ha- it just so happened that luck of the draw, the cover's on a side that floods more. Or we're on a side where there's some legacy land use that is a, that particular area was a low-yielding area. Every year it always reduces, has reduced yield, and that just happens to fall on our side. And so, I mean, these are just, you know, these are the the drawbacks to working on a whole field scale as opposed to small plot, but those are the kind of things we need to know. Um, now, there are some things that we can attribute to covers, like the slugs. Um, you mm-hmm. know, the colder, wetter soil did hold the slugs, um, and that's a new problem. But, you know, these are treatable issues. It's just things we didn't necessarily anticipate and can be fixed. So I'm hopeful that we won't continue to be on sort of the, the losing side of the equation. Um, but, you know, that's just... That's just research, and right. um, I'm thankful that we have grower partners who have taken that risk with us. And I want to say that, you know, even when we yielded lower than the non-cover side, our yields are still competitive with regional averages. 
Right. They weren't, you know, bottomed out, low end of the spectrum. They were pretty reasonable yields. It's just that the opportunity cost on the yield was was a little bit high because the non-side yielded sort of at the high end of the mm-hmm. averages, and we were sort of in the mid-range. But we can, you know, we've already addressed those problems. We're moving forward, and, you know, the producers that we work with aren't discouraged by it because they saw intangible benefits that we couldn't have quantified, like reduced which irrigation trips, which we, and quantify. that's why we have those great, well, that's why we have those great partners and we love those great conversations is they point out things we couldn't have seen because we're not measuring like how many days earlier are you getting in the field? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the dollar value for five days ahead on planting? And also, I mean, it gives us a little more of a purpose because some of those intangible benefits or even realized cost savings, not everyone's just keeping track of those. You know, I, I asked a couple of the producers that were there. They don't always keep track of that. Um, but to someone who hasn't yet adopted it, it might be an important piece of the economic equation, right? Yeah, well, we had especially a cost tool there. We did have a cost tool. And unfortunately, the cost tool is it's a cost tool. It's not a just direct. Cost. It's not a balancing tool or a budget tool. It just will tell you how much it will cost you to buy the the things and then you'll need to decide if you can find the money in the budget to support those costs. Right. So with most things, if someone just tells you the cost and has no offsetting offsetting return savings. on investment, uh, it doesn't seem like a good deal. <laughs> but, but I would also like to point out that, you know, the cost tool um, on average our farmers in our six farmers, they're in it for sixty to seventy dollars an acre for direct costs of seed which herbicide. Is comparable to what which is, is comparable provided in financial to the subsidies. Yep. So on the surface, it looks kind of scary, but you know we know with most conservation practices, subsidies are how conservation gets put on the landscape, mm-hmm. and so this is no different than many of the other practices. Yeah. And you can almost balance out your costs with just the financial assistance. That's a good point. Which is not reflected in that tool because we can't guarantee that every producer. Is going to have that. That's where you've got to look at your individual right. budget. I'm going to stop cutting you off. No, you're fine. This is your podcast. I might be talking over you. We're just so excited. <laughs> and in fact, we're running out of time. But that was a good place to end. I think we could talk on. Why does every extension thing end with economics? Well, like every just, meeting you ever go to, the economists uh, go last, and then we have lunch. <laughs> <laughs> in this case, we're just having more coffee. But we're we might make it to lunch if we talk all morning. Filibuster. Um, <laughs> So I know you're going to be back with us again, and um, I think I had to write down at least like three additional topics we can talk on. We didn't even get to the water quality part of it, or the a lot of some of the environmental um, benefits uh, or challenges that we saw within the project. Um, we could also probably revisit the economics. Yeah. Well, we're about to terminate covers and go into cash crops, so we're definitely going to have more to talk about um, in the next couple months. All right, great. We look forward to having you back on again. As always, you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show. And we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor, the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service, for their support of this podcast. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu.